up to verse 10. This is the Lord Jesus speaking, and he tells his hearers, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask now that you will be pleased to speak to us from your word. Grant us ears that hear, grant us eyes that see, and hearts that readily embrace the word of the living God. We ask in Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. You may be seated. Now this morning we come to a consideration of this particular passage, and this passage has that uh, subject, I am sure many of you may have heard of it in the past, what is it to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? The sin which our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ here, reminds us that if you commit such a sin, you will not be forgiven. I mean, if, if I was uh, given a choice, I, I probably would have uh, jumped that passage to go to all the other passages that uh, are wonderful. But this is the reason why uh, here at Providence we subscribe to expository preaching because we want to face every verse that God has inspired in his word. And even this morning, I am sure that uh, we must face this verse and uh, the Lord will... Uh, be gracious to teach us exactly what that means. Let me begin by saying that this particular subject is probably one of the most difficult subjects that you can ever consider. But also, not only is it a difficult subject, but it is a, an issue about which many people Christians included, have had trouble. I remember reading uh, the book Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners by John Bunyan. Remember that famous author of the Christian progress, or Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, there was a time when he really suffered. And the question that bothered him was he used to think that he had committed the unpardonable sin. 
and he really was depressed for many months until God in his grace was able to give him light, to give him understanding, and for him to recognize that God had in fact forgiven him all his sins. And Banyan then went on to write that wonderful classic, Pilgrim's Progress. Now, but Banyan is not alone. There have been many, many Christians who have been oppressed by that question. Have I committed the unpardonable, unpardonable sin? Now, let me just say that if you are here this morning and, and, and you can also answer to that description that in your life you have had to be bothered by that question, I, I just have some good news for you. That if, if it is the bother, it is something that is a real nagging question in your own heart and mind, that most probably you have not committed the sin that is unpardonable. Because if you do, according to the Bible, as I hope to show you, you will not be bothered at all. Let me also, in the third place, remind you that we are living in a very, very difficult era. Because we have the internet. I don't know how many of you have not gone to the internet since this morning. But uh, if you go to a thing called uh, YouTube, and I'm not suggesting you should do this, you will find that right here in the United States of America, there are some people who have been making videos uh, of what is called deconstructionism where they basically uh, tell us that they used to be Christians, now they, they have been enlightened. And, and, and they now look back and see uh, what a terrible waste of time it was. And then they start to actually blaspheme against God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And obviously, the question then comes, have they committed the unpardonable sin? I hope not. But there are people who again and again, in a public forum like YouTube, want to make their thoughts known they have renounced faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in God, faith in the Bible. And as I said, have they committed the unpardonable sin? My hope and prayer is that they have not. Unfortunately, 
they have come so dangerously close to doing it. So the first thing I want us to think about this morning before we answer the question of what is the unpardonable sin is I want us first of all to look at the good news. And what is that good news? The good news is right here in verse 10. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. That there is such a thing that sins can be forgiven, I want to suggest to us this morning, is the greatest good news you and I have ever had. Think about it. Your personal sins, the things you probably have done that nobody knows about. Yes, those things, the Lord Jesus Christ says here, they can be forgiven. God in his grace can cleanse, can forgive, can give you a brand new start. And it is not just the simple things like telling a lie that can be forgiven. And by the way, when we say simple, only because we are depraved. It is not simple. It is not only those things that God forgives. God forgives sins. Terrible sins. He forgives all the kind of sins that you can think about and imagine. As I was preparing, I was thinking about... Uh, the story of Manasseh. I don't know how many of you have read the story in the Old Testament of that king, Manasseh, who, as a young man, the Bible says he rebelled against God, he rebelled against the law of God, and he started worshiping the host of heaven and sacrificing children to the sun god and whatever other idols were there. Even he, in the end, the Bible tells us, he was forgiven. And God, in grace, brought him back. And he was rescued. He was cleansed. He was forgiven. You think about Saul of Tarsus. Have you ever thought about his life? Look at that guy. Look at him when they were about to kill Stephen. The Bible says the men who were throwing the stones, they went and left their jackets at the feet of Saul. And the Bible says that Saul was consenting to the, he, he, in other words, he was saying to Stephen, you deserve this. And in First Timothy, he tells us that he obtained mercy 
even though he was a blasphemer, meaning he routinely was insulting the Lord Jesus. He was a persecutor of the church, meaning he, were, he did not think that Christians should be given a chance to live because he, think, he thought that they were completely mistaken. They did not deserve to live on earth. And even those sins were forgiven by the amazing grace and kindness of God. Those sins were forgiven. So, it doesn't matter what you have done. Even in our own day, if I were to ask you, what do you think is the worst criminal? My guess is that you'll say, a pedophile. Even that can be forgiven by the grace of God. And so you can think of anything that you've done in this world. Abortion, for instance, is an issue in our day. We live in a day in which entire generation of human beings have not been allowed to come into this world. Entire generations. And yet, God in his kindness is able to forgive even those who engage in that sin. They can be forgiven. As long as they turn in repentance from their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is willing, God is able to save able to save to the uttermost all those who come to God through him. Now, if you are familiar with the New Testament, you will find that the Lord Jesus Christ was routinely insulted by the Jews. Routinely. Every single day the Pharisees were insulting him. They were saying things that were demeaning to him. They did not recognize him as the son of God. They accused him of being an imposter. And all of that, the Lord Jesus Christ says, can be forgiven. In fact, one of the things that the gospel writers are careful to remind us of is that right there on the cross when the Lord Jesus Christ was dying for sinners, he was being crucified for sinners, he found it in his heart to pray for those that were in that moment even hailing insults at him. If you are the son of God, you used to save others. Save yourself. Save us as well. 
in that moment, rather than calling 10,000 of angels to come and wreak vengeance on his enemies, the Lord Jesus Christ prays for his persecutors. Do not hold this sin against them because they do not know what they are doing. Or even if you think about the death of Stephen, remember how they were throwing these stones. Can you imagine, put yourself in his shoes, that he was now in such agony physically. But such was the grace of God upon Stephen. The Bible says he lifted up his eyes and he saw Jesus. And because he saw Jesus, those stones did not really affect him. And rather than getting angry, he actually felt pity for the people that were then engaged in that act of exterminating Stephen. And notice there, he says, I see the Son of God sitting at the right hand of God. And the last thing he says before he falls asleep, do not hold this sin against them. murder, sexual immorality, or even worshiping. There, there, I hope there are no certain worshippers amongst my hearers this morning. But even if they were, such is the good news of God in Jesus Christ that even if you are a devil worshiper, God is willing and able to forgive pardon, to cleanse you even from that sin. And then the question therefore remains, what is that sin that the Lord Jesus Christ says is unpardonable? There have been many suggestions in the past uh, one of the most commonly well-known is that it is the sin of unbelief. That if you persist until you die, rejecting the revelation of the Bible, rejecting the revelation of the gospel, that Jesus is the Savior sent from God, that he went to the cross to die for sinners, that if you will look to him and call upon his name, you will be saved. A man like Augustine, that's how he interpreted that. That the unpardonable sin is ultimately persisting in unbelief until you die. Now, if you definitely persist in unbelief until you die, yes, you will not be forgiven. You will die 
and go to hell forever and ever. But that is not the unpardonable sin that the Lord Jesus Christ here is referencing. There are other Christians who have suggested that uh, the unpardonable sin is the sin of murder. Again, as we have shown that the Bible tells us again and again, uh, gives us examples of people who committed murder. David was one of them. And he was forgiven and cleansed. Others have suggested that the sin of uh, sexual immorality or adultery is the unpardonable sin because you are sinning against the temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, we know from the Bible, again, David is a good example. He's a man who fell not only in the sin of adultery, but also into the sin of murder. And God forgave him and restored him. So what is the unpardonable sin? Now, it is not grieving the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about, particularly to Christians, it's a command. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit is not the unpardonable sin. Or elsewhere, like in that passage where James Brother Stephen was stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. When Stephen was preaching, he gave the charge to the people that were listening to him. He says, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. So, again... Resisting the Holy Spirit is a sin, but it is not the unpardonable sin. So what is the unpardonable sin? And is it possible for any of us today to be guilty of that sin? The answer is obviously in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the passage that we have read. Now, I'm going to be asking you to turn to Matthew and Mark, but before we do, uh, we are in Luke chapter 12. If you go back to chapter 11, where we spent quite some time, we can uh, begin, begin to see where this whole thing started. And perhaps that will help us to see or to understand what the unpardonable sin is. If you go to chapter 11 and beginning to read at verse 14, it says there concerning the Lord Jesus that he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. 
In other words, people were impressed when they saw that glorious miracle. And then in, chapter, in verse 15, he tells us, but some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid west, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast him out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, that, that, that's the context in which the Lord Jesus Christ then makes that particular statement. And both Matthew and Mark, it's a, it's a bit more obvious in their case that they are referencing this incident as the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ is, in fact, issuing that warning against the unpardonable sin. So if you turn with me then to Mark and chapter 3, we can see there how Mark's rendering helps us to understand this. Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. It says, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. No one can enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then he indeed he may plunder his house. Now, pay attention to those verses. Verse 28. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilt, guilty of an eternal sin. And then verse 30, he gives you the reason. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So, the unpardonable sin is 
in the face of the work of Christ, in the face of the work of the Holy Spirit, revealing to you, revealing to me who Jesus Christ really is. And then you, in the light of that evidence, reject it and say, it is Satan working in him. That is the unpardonable sin. And what the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, is saying to the Pharisees in this incident, either one of two things. Either that they have committed this unpardonable sin because in the light of the evidence that God showed them, the miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ was performing and the fact that ordinary people were able to acknowledge that what is happening is not natural. God must be at work in the life of this man. Despite all of that, the Pharisees had it within them because they hated Jesus, because he kept condemning them at every opportunity. Despite that evidence, they said that everything that he was doing, he was doing by the power of Satan. In fact, they called him Satan. And they called the Holy Spirit Satan. And that was crossing the line. The Lord Jesus Christ is warning his hearers. Don't do what these men are doing because there are eternal consequences once you cross that line. Once you begin to attribute to, to, to the devil what Jesus is doing and what the Holy Spirit in Jesus is doing. In other words, let me put it this way. There's only one way in which you will believe in Jesus. And that is, the Holy Spirit will reveal him to you as the only savior for sinners. As the only one sent from God to rescue you and me from our sin. And if after the Holy Spirit brings light to you, if after the Holy Spirit brings conviction to you, if after the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus in his glory as the great God-man, as the deliverer, the savior of sinners, in the light of that evidence, 
you reject that evidence. You turn your back against that evidence. And you insist going on in life in your own way. You have crossed the line. And you have committed the unpardonable sin. Is it possible for people in this day and age to commit the unpardonable sin? Absolutely yes. Is it possible for you and me to know who has committed the unpardonable sin? Absolutely no. Only God ultimately knows who has committed that sin. So there are some things then that we can say about this unpardonable sin. First of all, it is a sin that you will primarily commit with misusing your tongue. I mean, you can write it. Or you can make a video and so we go to YouTube and read what you wrote. But primarily, it's what you say about what God has revealed concerning his son. That is why the Bible says, be quick to hear, but slow to speak. That is why the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36 warns that you will stand in judgment for every idle word that you utter. So, whatever this sin is, the Bible tells us it's a sin of the tongue. In particular, the misuse of your tongue. The Bible warns us, be careful what you say. Remember, of all the creatures that God has made, <coughs> you are the only one who is able to speak. Be very, very careful what you use your tongue with. But then secondly, this particular sin is a sin which can only be committed by religious people like you and me who have been informed about the facts of who Jesus Christ is. You know, it's interesting here that the Lord Jesus Christ is not talking about, uh, you know, the prostitutes outside there, you know, the thieves and the murderers and the drug pushers. He's talking about religious people. Perhaps I should be more careful to say he's talking about reformed people. 
people who are preoccupied with dividing doctrine to understand what those are the guys who can commit that sin. Those are the people who have knowledge and information about who Jesus Christ really is. So you and I fit the bill of people who must be on guard against this sin. We must be on guard. Now, interesting that uh, Muslims, for instance, they will tell you that they respect Jesus as a prophet. That's what they will tell you. In fact, if they find somebody who is insulting the Lord Jesus Christ, they are quite angry. They're quite angry. Even though they don't believe he is the son of God. But even if they don't believe he's the son of God, there have been many times that Muslims have been converted, wonderfully converted, and have come to embrace Jesus as Lord and as the Savior. We ourselves are the ones who live in a day and in a time where Jesus is like a swear word. That's the kind of culture in which we live. Because people believe they have the freedom of speech. And they can say anything that they want to say to anyone or about anybody. So remember that this is a sin that will be committed by people who are deeply, deeply religious. People who have been exposed to the preaching of the gospel. People who are familiar with the things of God. It is those kinds of people who can commit the unpardonable sin. And that is why earlier on I had asked my brother to read Hebrews and chapter 6. That is why we have that warning. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6 then and beginning to read at verse 4. The writer is giving that warning. And he's basically saying it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. And where does that enlightenment come from? It's the work of the Holy Spirit to enlighten you, to see that there is only one way back to God. 
What is that way? It is Jesus and him crucified. Those who have tasted the heavenly gift. And there it is. And those who have shared in the Holy Spirit have tested the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. See what the, the writer there is saying? He is saying, you are in this impossible situation that you have enjoyed this glorious presentation of who Jesus Christ is. And in a sense, you have experienced something. We don't know what exactly that is, but you've experienced something that tells you there is a savior sent from God. His name is Jesus. And then for some strange reason, you reject that revelation. There is no forgiveness for you. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, it's actually the same. Uh, but a few more things are said there. Chapter 10, beginning at verse 26. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, and that's the point, you have heard the call of Jesus through the preaching of the gospel to turn away from sin, to cry to God for mercy, and to live a life that pleases him. And he says, if you will continue sinning deliberately after receiving that knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then he gives us the contrast. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of God? What he's saying is this. If you look in the Old Testament, if you find somebody who deliberately 
rejected the law of Moses. I said, you know what? This is not for me. I, I just, I am not interested in this at all. It was capital punishment. Stoned to death. And he's saying, Moses was just a human being. He was a servant of God. Now, the one we are talking about here is Jesus, the son of the living God. If after you have acknowledged that you are a sinner who is lost, and you have cried out for mercy, to, for pardon, to be rescued, and you profess the faith of God. And then at some point in the future, you know what? To be honest with you, I don't know what I was doing. All of that is totally nonsense. I renounce it. I reject it. I am not at all interested. What kind of punishment do you think you will deserve? It says here in verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So here's the way I'm going to conclude. You see, the, I am very glad, very glad that you came. And my prayer is that you will continue to come every Sunday. But more than just coming every Sunday, my prayer is that you will genuinely love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you just come but don't love him or if you just come, but you still love your sin, and even after you've been warned and warned again and again, you persist sinning deliberately. There's no words in which I could describe the punishment that you deserve. May God grant you to love Jesus. Love him genuinely. Seek him with your whole heart and live all your days seeking nothing but his honor and his glory. That is what the gospel has come to do in our lives. It is to transform godless people like you and I, transforming us into the children of the living God, those who love Christ 
and are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Those who are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you continue in love with your sin, despite the fact that you have heard, you have been called, you have believed, you have professed faith, you have been baptized, but you persist in love with your sin. You are living in sin deliberately. You reject that wonderful good news from God that he has given to you. You will not be forgiven in this life or in the one to come. Now, obviously, you might have quite a few questions, and I am hoping that you will come on Wednesday for our small groups, and we can have uh, all the discussions uh, of the specific questions that you might have. But let me just say this. Here is what the unpardonable sin is. Here is what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It is that the Holy Spirit clearly working with the preaching of the word reveals the son of God to you and you reject it and you persist in that rejection that is the unpardonable sin I have hope none of all those who are hearing me have committed the unpardonable sin. I have hope in the grace of God that if you're a Christian, you cannot commit that sin because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God will not allow you to go that far. He intends to save you and he has paid an enormous price, the blood of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that enormous price, he is not going to allow you to go that far. But if you are not a Christian, there is nothing to stand in the way to stop you from committing that sin. Nothing. But the mere pleasure and goodness of God. That is what stands between you and committing the unpardonable sin. And therefore, I counsel you. Do not waste any more time come to the Savior, to come to Christ. Because if you do, then 
God's seal is upon you and you cannot commit this sin. But if you're out there, outside of Christ, even though you are religious, even though you come, nothing will stop you from going to commit the unpardonable sin. Remember, God has made him to be seen who knew no sin. So that guilty, unworthy sinners like us might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah puts it this way. Come, let us reason together. Although your sins are as red as scarlet, he says they shall be made whiter than snow. God invites you this morning. And he says, don't be like the Jews in the Old Testament. They heard but they resisted. Don't be like that. That's the warning. When you have heard the call of God, when you have heard the wings, the growing of the Spirit of God speaking to you, bringing conviction, do not resist that blessing of God. Look to him. Cry to him. Plead with him. Give him no rest until all your sin is forgiven. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. And he puts his seal on you so that you will not commit that sin at all. Because you are God's property. And he's got his seal on you. He is going to watch over you. He is going to preserve you. He is going to make sure that you will be preserved into his eternal kingdom. And let me then use that as the reason why we have communion. Communion is a time in which we remember this unparalleled goodness of God to us. But in the fullness of time, the Son of God was born. and He came into this world on a rescue mission and he never rested. Even if it meant him going to a cross, even if it meant him dying in utter nakedness and shame, he never rested until he brought the people of God home by shedding his precious blood. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we acknowledge
that we stand before you. And as we do so, we recognize unless we come and find refuge in Jesus Christ, our Savior, we know that we will find no rest in this world. There is no one, no, nothing to stop the torrent of our own heart's depravity from working itself out in this life. But we plead with you this morning in the light of that glorious gospel of our Savior that you will work in the hearts of your people and draw them to yourself. And may Jesus Christ only be honored and glorified. We ask in his precious name. Amen. <laughs>